welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for 30% off an annual subscription. Al, it's been quite a week in the NBA. Tell us what happened. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night with a rematch between the Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns, the two best teams in the league. The Warriors exacted their revenge on the Suns, and in doing so, ended the Suns' 18-game winning streak. So if your obsession is winning streaks, you are now forced to watch the Houston Rockets, current owners of the league's longest winning streak at seven games. (laughs) On Saturday morning, basketball fans across Portland, Oregon, woke up with a little extra pep in their step, Andrew, because for the first time in over a decade, Blazers fans woke up without Neil Olshay as their team's general manager. No longer would Blazers fans be gaslit into thinking starting three guards 6-3 and under isn't a defensive issue. Blazers fans could eat their Cheerios in peace knowing that Neil Olshay could no longer hurt their favorite team. Or could he? On Sunday, our Charlotte Hornets defeated the Atlanta Hawks 130-127. What made this win special, Andrew? Well, earlier in the week, we learned that multiple Hornets players would be out due to COVID protocols, including LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Jalen Daniels, and Mason Plumlee. In their place, the Hornets got 32 from most improved player candidate Miles Bridges, 28 from Tsunami Poppy, 19 from Cody Martin, and 18 from Man of a Thousand Teams-ish Smith. A true team effort and why Andrew and I have been tuning in night after night to Hornets basketball for the last seven days. On Monday, the Indiana Pacers scored a nice win against the Washington Wizards, 116-110. Domana Sabonis had 30-10-6 in one of his best games of the season. Was this the turning point win this team so desperately needed? Well, according to a report released on Tuesday by the athletic Sham Sharania, no, it was not. Shams reported that the Indiana Pacers, lovers of first-round exits, are finally ready to enter a rebuilding phase. They are open to trading Karis LeVert and either Miles Turner or Demonis Sabonis. If you're only trading one, doesn't really sound like a rebuild to me, but to each their own. Also on Tuesday, it was the dramatic return of dun-dun-dun, Neil Olshay, Zombie GM. Neil Olshay, now writing for ESPN under the pseudonym Adrian Wojnarowski, released an article that was largely seen as a direct attack on Damian Lillard. Why won't Neil go away? On Wednesday, we had a statement win from the Miami Heat. Despite missing Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, the Miami Heat defeated the Milwaukee Bucks 113-104. to This was the Bucks' first loss this season when Giannis, Drew, and Chris Middleton were all playing. The leading scorer in the game? None other than Caleb Martin, who had a career-high 28 points in the win for Miami. When you consider the play of Cody Martin for our Hornets, have the Martin brothers officially claimed the title of best twins in the NBA? Question mark. On Thursday... For this week, yes. It's possible. On Thursday night, the Memphis Grizzlies continued their winning ways without Ja Morant by defeating the Lakers 108-95. The Grizz are now 6-1 since Ja went down, and perhaps the best news for Grizzlies fans has been the play of Jaron Jackson Jr. In those seven games, Jaron is averaging 21-5 with two blocks per game while shooting over 41% from three on almost seven attempts per game. And for Lakers fans, well, at least there's a cool Lakers show coming to HBO. The Lakers are 13-13, heading into tonight's marquee matchup against the Oklahoma City Thunder. By the time you are listening to this, you will already know whether the Lakers have dropped their third straight game to the Thunder this season, which in my opinion would be deserving of its own HBO show. What a week it was, Andrew. Man, what an absolutely fun week in the NBA. Listen, Al, I want to talk jazz. They've been great. They have the best offense in the league by four points per 100 possessions. They've won six games in a row. Screen assists are flowing. It's great. And 
I recognize that the Utah Jazz don't need defenders. They probably have more defenders out there on the internet than just about anybody who are extremely vocal. However, something happened this week after a 136-104 to 104 demolition of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and it was that Patrick Beverly opened his mouth. So Beverly said this. I mean, I don't know. It's a great game plan by the coach and his coaching staff, but if I'm Defensive Player of the Year, I'm always guarding the best player no matter what. I'm not roaming. It's no discredit to Royce O'Neal or any of the other players on the team, but if I'm Defensive Player of the Year, I'm not guarding Royce O'Neal. I'm guarding Mike Conley. I'm guarding Donovan Mitchell. I'm guarding Bogdanovich. You got Rudy Gobert out there guarding Vanderbilt. And every time I hear he's Defensive Player of the Year, uh, so, uh, whatever. Hmm. First of all, listen. These quotes don't expose Rudy Gobert. To me, they actually expose Patrick Beverly. The reason that Gobert is guarding Vanderbilt is because of the defensive scheme. The Jazz want Rudy on a non-shooter around the basket. They've been doing it all season. And Gobert getting pulled away from the basket has always been bad for the Jazz. And the fact that he stayed near the hoop helped the Jazz beat the Wolves by 32 points. So step down, Patrick! And then there were quotes from the way more likable Anthony Edwards. He said this, To me, the best rim protector in the league is Porzingis. Anytime I go against Porzingis, I don't get any layups. I don't get why we couldn't finish on Rudy Gobert. He don't put no fear in my heart. So let's just take a look at those two. Is What's the comparison? Let's just look at the stats. Let's just look at facts only when it comes to Rudy Gobert and Kristaps Porzingis. So Rudy Gobert is seventh in the NBA and shots defended within six feet. And opponents are shooting 43.7% against him. That is the best mark amongst the top 50 players that defend the most shots within six feet. And the margin is giant. I mean, take a look at Chris Haps Porzingis, who really terrifies Anthony Edwards. Opponents are shooting 57% against Porzingis within six feet. That's 43 versus 57. The difference is vast. And let's just talk about defending the rim. How are opponents shooting against Rudy Gobert at the rim. They're shooting 61.9% in the restricted area against Gobert. What are opponents shooting against Porzingis in the restricted area? 67.6%. Also, according to NBA.com slash stats, the Timberwolves shot 14% against Gobert in that game. All this to say, Al, get off of Gobert's back. He's doing a good job. I'm not sure... I'd vote for him for Dimpensive Player of the Year this season. I'd probably give that nod to Draymond Green. But this is one more reason not to listen to Patrick Beverly. And if I, I could just, well, just hold on. I just want to make one more point before we get out of here. That's non-jazz. That's trade, trade related here. Please stop trying to trade Kenrich Williams. And if you want to trade him, do fake trades with Kenrich Williams. Just pronounce his first name right. Please. All right. How, how do people pronounce it? Oh, Ken, how else would you pronounce uh, it? Ken Rick, Ken Rick, or people say Kendrick. People are people are just not mm. paying attention. So Patrick Beverly was the thing that finally got you to defend Rudy Gobert publicly. That was what it took. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. Are you going to become a? Are you going to become a big Gobert fan? Are you going to be tweeting about screen assist mm, here mm, pretty mm, soon? Mm, mm. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not a huge Gobert guy. But if you're going to criticize him, like criticize him for the right things, right? Yeah. I, I would say um, I'm, you know, we're, we're restarting the wheel fandom uh, this week, I guess, and I'm kind of interested in learning more about the Jazz because I I'm wondering are they uh, last year's Bucks in that you know two years ago Bucks were number one seed they were incredible and then they flamed out in the playoffs they come back they try a bunch of new stuff are not as good in the regular season win yeah. the title. Jazz, best team in the league last year. Come back. It seems like they're trying new stuff. They saw what they were bad at in the postseason last year. Will yeah. that translate to more postseason success? I don't know, but I, I would kind of like to learn more about it as someone yeah. who usually isn't enthralled by the Jazz. Their their offense is like extremely potent, and they're trying new stuff on defense. And I, they're a very they're a very good team. And it's just funny, like the Timberwolves are the ones like. <laughs> criticizing <laughs> right. them. It's just like, what are we doing here, guys? Uh, okay, Andrew, uh, today I want to talk about the Portland Trailblazers. 
Um, I mentioned earlier how this week was cleansing in many ways for Portland fans. Finally shed themselves of the world's number one C.J. McCollum fan. They are finally free to build a team around Damian Lillard that does not have a maximum height requirement of six foot three inches for their guards. <laughs> and when you include the press conference on Thursday with interim GM Joe Cronin, the entire week probably felt like a fresh start, you know, a new era for Blazers fans. Yep. All that said, I do have some lingering questions about the future of the Blazers that collectively make it difficult for me to feel quite as hopeful. So I'd like to uh, present some of these lingering questions to you, see what you think. Now, this first one, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but I just wanted to bring it up. Why was everyone's reaction to the Woj article that it was a hit piece on Dame? Because when I finished that article, before seeing the reactions, you know, Nate Jones came out and tweeted, Dame himself tweeted in reference to the article. I did not come away from that article seeing Dame in a negative light. Like he was some, he was like the real villain all along. In mm-hmm. fact, I came away from that article thinking, like, yeah, Olshay was the problem. If, like, the gist of that article is that Dame is eligible for a two year extension this summer, he wants it, and that Portland under Olshay were hesitant to give him the extension. First, why would Dame not want an extension? Why wouldn't the guy who in recent months has gone out of his way to say that he yeah. wants to stay in Portland want an extension? It seems right. like a perfectly reasonable thing for him to want in return for committing to this franchise. Yeah. But as the article states, quote, rival teams say that the Stars camp had real concerns about Olshay's willingness to recommend the extension to ownership in 2022. And by the way, I get the hesitancy about wanting to extend Dame given his age, but if you're not willing to trade him and you don't want to extend him, you're not doing anything. So how does that not reflect poorly on Olshay? If Neil Olshay really was Woj's source on this, that was the weakest leaving town hit piece I've ever read. It like just did not come across that way to me. Okay, but anyways, that that's not that important. Did you yeah. have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, t- I tend to agree with you. I mean, this is what happens whenever you have a early 30s star on your hands, like a guy who's considered to be a top 10 player in the league. Like This is this, this is the price you pay. This is the price yeah, you exactly. pay for having them. The Thunder had to do it with Russell Westbrook. Obviously, he hasn't stayed. He's been bouncing around a lot since then. But that's just the price of having a star. That's just it. And and listening to Blazers fans, I've been listening to a few podcasts this week, it seems like they're open to the idea of extending Dame. Like, they want Dame to stay in Portland. Okay, yeah, anyways. They should. Beyond that, question number two. If Portland cannot trade for Ben Simmons, what is the realistic path to creating a contending roster? And let me preface this by reading what interim GM Joe Cronin said to The Athletic. He said, There are times when you have to take a step back in order to make a step forward, and we are not convinced that this is that time yet. Our approach today is not a retool or a rebuild. It's an enhance. We haven't discussed one time about taking a step back. In other words, Portland isn't undergoing this upcoming roster reshuffling with the end goal of creating another four or five seed that gets knocked out in the first or second round. Okay, We we all agree on that, right? They want to build a winner around Dame. If the goal is real contention, though, a second star is not optional. It's a necessity. Look mm-hmm. at every team that is currently considered a contender. They all have at least two top 25 players. And I would include Draymond in that, how he's playing this season. Sure. Ben Simmons, in my opinion, is the only obviously available player who could conceivably fill that role. So if they cannot make a deal for Ben Simmons, what is the real upside to this enhancement that's coming? Let's say they get Miles Turner as the Mm -hmm. biggest piece coming back. Now they're starting Dame, Norman Powell, Nasir Little, Larry Nance Jr., Miles Turner, maybe a different rotation piece here or there. That team would be definitively better than this current Blazers team. But does anyone believe that that team is any closer to competing with the likes of Golden State, Phoenix, Brooklyn, Milwaukee? Portland needs a second star, period. And without it, they're just going to end up right back where they were. Now, it's not going to be this version of the Blazers, but, you know, a few years ago where they were a four or five seed every year, they made the conference finals that one year. I could see them getting back to that. But if the goal is really to create a contender, you need a second star. And people may disagree with me. They may say, well, why can't Sabonis be that player? And maybe if you're really high on Sabonis, you know, I mean, he's been a two-time all-star. I get it. I just feel like of the available players, Ben Simmons is really the only one who I could conceivably – like make it work in my head where like yeah. now this roster has real upside and and if the reports are true about 
the the 76ers wanting picks, like a a ridiculous amount of picks. Oh, oh, Andrew, Andrew, let me stop you right there because that is question number three. Okay. Okay, we agree they need a second star. How do you get a star? Well, you need assets. And what mm-hmm. assets do the Blazers really have to upgrade this roster? So far, the names have been thrown out. CJ McCollum, Nurkic, Covington, and then maybe Anthony Simons, Nasir Little as your enticing young players. Yeah. But if if the goal is landing a second star, I'm not convinced that a combination of those players alone are getting you there. So what no else can they do? They could give picks. Let's just throw mm-hmm. some firsts in there to make the deal work. There's a very big problem, though. Last summer, Neil Olshay made a very important trade. In trading for Larry Nance Jr. from Cleveland, he sent a top 14 protected first to Chicago that is protected top 14 through 2028. Mm. 2028. In other words, Portland does not have a first to trade right now. None. They cannot trade their 2030 pick because it's too far away. In order to boost any potential trade with picks, they're going to have to go to Chicago and reduce the years and or protections on that pick just so they can trade another first. And mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of fake trades out there with the Blazers sending out picks to acquire a star, but I don't see how that's possible. If I am wrong on this, please let me know. <laughs> if you're out there, you're saying, uh-uh-uh, they actually can. Uh, maybe uh, there's something I'm missing But if they realistically cannot trade a first, the goal of creating a contending roster, which presumably is the goal, becomes much more difficult. And I will say I did contact a cap expert. I DM them on Twitter to ask about this because I was like, can you trade like the top 14 slots of a pick? But that would still bring the Stepien rule into effect. Mm -hmm. Because if, for instance, they gave the pick to to Chicago this year, whoever they gave the pick to next year, then you couldn't do it. So they need to make the playoffs. Like, they have to make the playoffs. But, but, yes, but then they couldn't keep, they couldn't trade, they still couldn't trade a pick until the offseason. Right. And we're talking about making deals right now. Yeah. It seems like that is a big factor that is getting overlooked. Yeah. It it obviously is because, I mean, that would be like the really only, they're really the only path to them actually getting Ben Simmons is having draft picks. Yeah. Like one. One having one, one. <laughs> one would be helpful, <laughs> and the fact that like Larry Nance has has not moved the needle really much at all for them this year he, has been he's a not, problem. But at the same time, like I would not want to trade him among that group. Like I would want to keep him as much as possible because you're going to have to have vets still on the no, roster. No doubt, no doubt. And you you imagine a roster without Nurkic, but with Nance and like Simmons and guys like that. You're like, okay, like that makes way yeah. more sense. Okay, question number four. Is Joe Cronin the right person for this job? Jason Quick wrote a great article for The Athletic on Friday detailing the rise of Cronin, who has worked in almost every facet of the Blazers organization over the last 15 plus years. He's been a scout for them, cap expert. He's been involved in trades. The article paints the picture of a grinder who has worked his way into this opportunity of a lifetime to be the Blazers GM. Super compelling story, and I thought he said everything he needed to say at their press conference on Thursday, which begs the question, so then why is he not the choice for GM? The franchise believes in this guy enough to let him make the decisions in what will be the biggest roster overhaul in at least 10 years for the franchise, but they're not willing to make him the permanent GM. How is that good process? The Portland GM job right now has an extremely high degree of difficulty for any GM, experienced or not, as we've just discussed. Successfully backing Portland out of the corner they are currently in would be an incredible feat for any GM. So to place a first-time GM in that position, give them that power at such a critical time in your franchise's history, while also not giving them the vote of confidence that a permanent GM title would bring with it, it just seems really weird. Like, this isn't just any (laughs) GM job. This is, please come in and completely turn over the roster. How do you let an interim GM make those decisions? If you believe in him, and by all accounts they do, like reading Jason Mm -hmm. Quick's article, make him the GM. What are you doing? And Quick would know. Of anybody, Quick would know. Yeah, it's it's a mess. It's an absolute mess, and this is not this is not the situation you want someone to like try to like grab a hold and steer the ship. Now, like this is yeah, it's, it's an impossible. Really, it's situation. going to be really tough. Okay, yeah. last question. Question number five: 
is Chauncey Billups the right coach for this job? It's really hard to say. We don't have a ton of data to work with so far. On the positive side, Chauncey has been very willing to call out the vets, which I think was needed for a franchise that had gotten so stale. Mm-hmm. On the negative side, though, it's hard to point to anything on the court that makes you feel amazing about his coaching. And the most damning thing, in my opinion, is that he clearly tried to fit his system onto a roster that was not built for it. The defense yeah. remains a bottom three defense. It could still work out, but it all goes back to last summer when the Blazers organization knew this team wasn't anywhere close to good enough after they lost to a broken-down Nuggets team, and they responded by letting Neil Olshay not just spend another summer tinkering around the edges of the roster, but also to hire a new coach and give him a five-year deal. Yes, the Blazers made the right decision last week to let Neil Olshay go. Congratulations. You've also put your new interim GM in what seems to me like an almost impossible situation to succeed, given the existing roster, lack of assets, and the coach he didn't hire. We know that trades are coming, so we're going to find out the answers to some of these questions very soon, but I don't think it can be overstated how difficult the GM job ahead really is for Joe Cronin. Yeah, to, to navigate from the middle to the top is the hardest thing to do in the NBA. It's the absolute hardest thing to do, and the Blazers are stuck firmly in the middle. And that's what teams are battling all the time. Like they're battling to get out of the middle, like either trying to get a high pick in the draft or trying to enter contention. And it's one of the more impossible things to do. Uh, as we're sitting here, Woj is tweeting. Have you seen Woj's tweets? No, no. What'd he say? He said that ESPN reporting with Zach Lowe that Philadelphia's trade conversations on Ben Simmons are gathering momentum in recent days. More teams engaged, more two- and three-way deal structures, talks ongoing as 76ers try to land a top-25 player for Simmons. So this is probably anticipating the upcoming December 15th date where a ton of players become available via trade. And then a response tweet, which which may have been a Cronin text or a Cronin call. He says, the Portland Trailblazers have made it clear to the 76ers that the all-star guard Damian Lillard is not available to be discussed in trade talks. And the franchise has no interest in moving him. So, and this is where we go. Like you, you go back to the top 25 thing from the first, which is what we've heard this entire time, whether it's top 25 yeah. or top 30. Like, that's not CJ. Like, I absolutely believe C.J. McCollum makes the Sixers better. I don't believe that C.J. McCollum is taking the Sixers anywhere they haven't been before. Yeah. I cannot imagine after all these months that Daryl Morey is going (laughs) to end up by trading for C.J. McCollum. If if he does, you should revolt, Philadelphia. I will revolt. I'll roast him. Absolutely. Absolutely revolt. Not good enough, Daryl. (laughs) Right after this break, uh, we're going to talk about the Charlotte Hornets. All right, it is now time for the Wheel of Fandom, where each week we spin a digital wheel. It lands on his team, and we follow that team for the next week. In our final week of the Wheel of Fandom, the first spin of the wheel, we got the Charlotte Hornets. And we were rewarded with COVID protocols, taking out LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier and Jalen McDaniels and Mason Plumley. Despite that, they did go one and, one and two, but they had a very nice win at Atlanta. Andrew, if the Hornets are Wheel of Phantom team this week, who is our guest? We've got my guy, Richie Randall, who is the host of the BuzzBeat podcast. Richie, what's up, man? Not much. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate uh, you guys inviting me on here. Enjoy talking about the Hornets. And obviously this week has been a weird week with the uh, health and safety protocol. So you guys picked a great week to to bring on a Hornets guest. (laughs) It's been an absolutely strange week to be following this team. Uh, But one of the biggest early season storylines from the Hornets has been the play of Miles Bridges. He is currently averaging 20 points per game, a jump from 13 points per game last season. What has been the biggest change in his game compared to last season now that we have him as one of the like premier, most improved players? Well, I'll take you back to his rookie season uh, until now, because I think last season he did make some improvements that not a lot of people talked about. I think they're just being showcased a little bit more now that, you know, LaMelo is on his second year and more eyes are on the Hornets when he entered the league and, and, 
you guys know this, like you think of Miles Bridges as this dunker, like in-game dunker, athletic ability. And, you know, he obviously had that, but he was strictly like a spot-up shooter in his first two seasons with Charlotte. He was very limited in what he could do with the ball in his hands. It's almost like he relied so much on his athletic ability that some of the other skills were a little bit slower to develop. And some of his like off-ball defense was an issue in his first two seasons. And he would get called ball watching and backdoor passes and stuff like that. So you had the exciting plays with Miles Bridges, but a lot of the things on the offensive end of the court, the skills just were not developed yet. Last year in his third season, um, you started to see the playmaking stuff a little bit more. They put the ball in his hands way more often. His handle became like 10 times tighter. He wasn't losing the ball when he was dribbling uh, up and down the court or, or going through defenders. And you started to see those strides last year off the dribble shooting stuff where he would pull up from three that just wasn't in his game in his first two seasons. And I remember asking uh, Borrego last year, probably around February, about the fact that he's putting the ball in Miles Bridges' hands a whole lot more. And he said that was the single biggest developmental piece um, of anyone on the roster. And, And that was last year. And so you fast forward to this year where he's in a more prominent role. He's showcasing his skills a little bit more. And I think that's probably partly why he's receiving more attention because the usage has gone up. Um, there's no denying that he's made another jump for for sure. But if you look at some of his like efficiency stats, they've actually gone down a little bit. Um, but again, he has a, a bigger role with this team. He's just creating more offense for himself, creating more offense for others. Uh, the Hornets like to use his gravity kind of like as a role man because him and LaMelo are just a great pairing. And when he rolls to the basket, you have the whole defense collapse because the fact that there is a lob threat there. So he just gets the defense moving with that type of gravity. He's also stepped it up on the defensive side of the court. Like you kind of see that focus and desire to play a little bit more on that end. So I would think that he's probably in the top three conversation for the most improved player this year. Uh, But I think, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I think one of the interesting talking points with Miles Bridges is the extension that he did not get prior to this season. Uh, SGA got it. Um, but I don't think he's worth as much as SGA, but that's, you know, he's probably going to be up there in terms of the money that he's going to garner after this season. I I would think probably mid to upper twenties per year. I'm just not sure if the Hornets would do that. I don't know. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough situation with that. Hmm. Yeah. That was actually our very next question for you. So you answered it uh, perfectly. How much, how much you thought he might get this summer? Um, I wanted to ask you about LaMelo, who has continued his incredible play in year two. He's averaging more points per game, more assists, shooting nearly 40% from three on over seven attempts per game. What do you think is the next step in his development to maximize his ceiling? Yeah, we talk about this a lot on BuzzBeat in terms of what he can do next. Now, if he never added a, a single thing for the rest of the season, he would still be the best player on this Hornets roster. Yeah. Um, but in terms of his next step offensively, you know, he's got the playmaking, obviously. He's he's gotten the pull-up shooting that you talked about, 39% from behind the arc. One thing that he does struggle with is his mid-range shot and his like at-rim finishing. He is a guy that probably needs to bulk up a little bit because when he does get in there with bigger bodies, um, he's battling some of those guys and he's kind of throwing up these like athletic kind of up and unders and they don't always fall. They don't always fall. Um, so to me, like when, when a team is defending LaMelo, um, if they can get him inside the paint a little bit and kind of tempt him to, to pull up from mid-range, I think that's probably where they want him. There's not a lot of holes on the offensive side of the court, uh, but until he develops like a mid-range shot and or a shot at the rim, uh, that's going to, I wouldn't say limit his like ceiling because he's so good offensively and he can get others involved with his passing and, and stuff like that. But that's, that's the one area of concern I would say, but he's so young and I think that's going to come in a couple of years. He does have this weird knack for having like a, like 15 foot floater. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that where he just like pulls up from the free throw line and just hits a floater from 15 feet. It's, it's very odd that, that, that is his mid range shot as of now, but in terms of a jumper, (laughs) no, he does not have a jumper. Actually, speaking of his finishing at the rim, I wanted to ask you about him getting to the line because he's 16th in the league in drives per game, averaging 14 per game, but he's taking less than three free throws per game. Do you think that's an issue of him not getting calls, looking to pass more, or kind of what you were talking about, like avoiding contact? 
I think it's, yeah, I definitely think it's the latter where he tries to avoid contact and tries to use his athletic ability to go up and under. Uh, I think he doesn't fully trust his frame yet and kind of biding people. Uh, I did not know that stat. Um, so that's an interesting one to think about. If he does drive the ball that frequently and you see that, you would think that he would get to the line a little bit more, but it, it probably is the finesse versus the physicality. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. The starting center position is obviously a weakness for the Hornets. Uh, just in this last week, it seems there are at least three established big men available, Sabonis, Turner, and Nurkic. Given what it would likely take to acquire one of these players, uh, what would be the most that you would give up, and who would you be most interested in if the Hornets could acquire one of these guys? Yeah, the the, the one player that is always seemingly linked to the Hornets is Miles Turner. And Miles Turner, yeah. I think when you look at the Hornets in terms of where the issues lie, it's all on the defensive side of the court. Like they're top three in offense, they're bottom three in defense, like in just almost mm-hmm. any single category on defense. They have an awful shot profile from a defensive standpoint. They allow tons of shots at the rim and they're really just not tempting teams to shoot from the mid range. I think what's what's very interesting about the Hornets roster in terms of trying to trade, if you look at their salary sheet, and obviously you always have to factor this in when you're making a trade, they have like Rozier and Hayward kind of up top. And then they got a lot of players that are just like on these low salaries where you're going to have to add a lot of them to kind of get up to that Miles Turner uh, portion of his salary to kind of match those. So that that would be the player that I think that the Hornets would probably want to look into. I just don't know exactly what type of trade it would take to get him to Charlotte uh, just because of the trade mechanics and everything. So I think one player that is kind of rumored to be, I say rumored, but just in Hornets talk in terms of what would be the outgoing player, it would have to be like a PJ Washington. It would have to be a Kelly Oubre, but I think both of those players are playing great with Charlotte and Mitch Kupchak has always said like they're taking this patient approach, even though that they're performing above expectations and they're, and they're doing a little bit better than maybe people expect. uh, Maybe they don't make a trade. Maybe they just sit it out and just hope that Mason Plumlee and Nick Richards and PJ Washington can kind of, you know, work their way through the, the rotation here and, you know, hold water a little bit. But that's the thing that I would consider the most is just the salary for Hornets. It's just very weird in terms of the low salary and the rookie deals. And a lot of people talk about Hayward as well, but he has a 15% trade kicker, which Charlotte would have to pay. So it's it's one of those things where matching salaries is going to be the issue. Now, is he the right fit for Charlotte, Miles Turner, that is? I, I think defensively, he's he will bring a lot on that end of the court. Um offensively, like he's made some strides, like he's a pick and pop guy. But one thing that we always talk about with the Hornets is like when you're trying to get a center to pair with LaMelo, you need a lob threat. And I don't think Miles yeah. Turner strikes me as a guy that's a, a lob threat by any means. I mean, do you guys have a preference as, as, as of those three guys, like who you think would be the best fit for Charlotte? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, cause like Nurk- Nurkic would be the cheapest like out of those three. Yeah. I mean, you probably wouldn't have to give up one of those young guys. Um, and he's definitely an upgrade on Mason Plumlee, but yeah. does he really fit with the style that Horn- the Hornets play? I don't know. Um, no. Sabonis would cost a lot more than Miles Turner. I-, I think you're right. Like Miles Turner is the best fit and is probably the easiest to get mm-hmm. in terms of like you'd be willing to give it up. Yes, it would probably take one of the young guys that you don't want to trade, but it would be an upgrade. It's interesting what you said though about him not really being the, the type of lob threat you would want. Um, although I, the next question is going to be about their rookies and it seems like they have a lot of lob threats there. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I guess I would agree with you that miles Turner makes the most sense. I kind of like Domas there a little bit though, like the dribble handoff mm-hmm. stuff that you could do with LaMelo and he's not, I mean, he, he's not a vertical spacer in terms of athleticism, but the way that he finishes around the basket, like he's certainly a threat there. And it's not that, I mean, LaMelo can throw lobs, obviously, but LaMelo is just an, an incredible passer, period. And so is Sabonis. I think that it would actually work pretty well. I don't know what, because of the salary stuff, I don't know what the trade looks like. And it's not, and Sabonis doesn't make like a ton of money. Um, I kind of like that, though, because I, I think that he would give them an element of toughness inside that they just don't have. Yeah, I think defensively, too, you don't think of Sabonis as a defensive guy, but he is like, he's an upgrade over Plumlee. He's an upgrade over yeah. uh, Nick Richards and, and PJ Washington as well when it comes to that. Like, but he will cost the most, like Alex was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So 
I wanted to ask you about the rookies because with so many absences this week, one of the bright spots was that we got to see some extended minutes for two of the Hornets rookies, James Booknight and JT Thor. They, along with first-round pick Kai Jones, have been logging a lot of minutes for the Greensboro Swarm Mm -hmm. this season in the G League. What have been your early impressions of the rookies, both in their limited NBA minutes and in the G League? Yeah, it's tough. It's it's weird how some of these lottery players just aren't playing a lot. And James Booknight is like, Example 1A, like he is a guy that is just stuck behind so many guards on this Hornets roster. Uh, One thing with Booknight in terms of what he needs to improve upon, well, there's several, but uh, his three-point shot just really hasn't been falling this year, Uh, whether that's in Greensboro or whether that's in Charlotte. He has the athletic ability to go up and get a dunk and, and stuff like that. And it's he, he's got a lot to work on on the offensive end of the game in terms of like with the ball in his hands because he's a little bit undersized for a two guard. So they do play him uh, as a ball handler sometimes. He loses the handle. He over dribbles. I really don't think that Book Knight's going to see significant minutes uh, with Charlotte this year. And if you would have asked me that before the season started, I, I would have thought that I was crazy by saying that that comment because there's been so many players ahead of him that have made um, some strides. And maybe I can talk about one of those players in a minute, but JT Thor, um, he actually looks the part on the defensive end. Like he is lanky. Um, he is actually one of the younger players in this past draft. Maybe, maybe the youngest, I had to have to look that up, but he's got the length to defend players, uh, three, four, five, his shots coming along. I wouldn't say that he would play more minutes than book night in Charlotte. Uh, but he actually looks the part a little bit more, especially on the defensive side of the court, an area in which Charlotte desperately needs. So um, I haven't watched too many Greensboro games or kept up with that, but Book Knight's kind of numbers from behind the arc are still an issue. And then just him handling the ball as an undersized two seems to be an issue as well. But one player I do want to mention, uh, I don't know if you guys were going to ask me about him. Maybe, maybe not. Cody Martin. I don't know if you guys have been keeping tabs on him. He was a, he was oh, yeah. a, he was a non-factor on offense last year. And this year, He's shooting 50% from behind the arc, which is obviously not sustainable by any means, but he's the one guy that's keeping book night from playing. And uh, that that's a guy that's really turned around his career in terms of just being a liability on offense to playing four on five to now actually being someone that can get to the rim, shoot from behind the arc, distribute the ball. And he's always had that defensive side to him. Um, he's a pest. So I think he's going to get those deflections and, and pick up charges and make shots difficult. So Cody Martin is like the, you talk about Miles Bridges being a most improved player, but like under the radar, Cody Martin has done very well in improving his stock on the Hornets roster. It's, yeah, both, it's the, both the Martin twins. Now that they've been separated, yes, yes. they have their, they have powers now. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And according to Eric Collins, they're, when they when they were both in the game last year, they were Martinized, but I guess they needed to be separate from each other. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, Caleb just had his career high, 28 points. We were, we were wondering if the Martin twins are now the best twins in the NBA, <laughs> which would have sounded crazy a year ago, but legitimately might be the case. I mean, by default, it might be true. Because the rest of them are out? Because like, Mark <laughs> Keefe hasn't played, Brooke Lopez is out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah by default, w- yes. Currently the best twins. Last question. Were you surprised that it was JT Thor and not Kai Jones that, were, that was getting extended run this week? Not really. Kai Jones just seems okay. like a very, very raw prospect. He's got a lot yeah. to, to kind of gain on on both ends of the court. Um, the center the center rotation is very interesting for Charlotte because there's there's bodies there. There's a lot of bodies in terms of the numbers, uh, but there's no one that really kind of stands out. But as of now, PJ Washington, who actually just um, is going to be absent for Sacramento's game. I know we're recording this on a Friday. Um, it's been PJ Washington, Nick Richards, and Plumley kind of holding down the fort at the five position, even though it's been underwhelming at times. But Kai Jones, athletic freak, raw, but he, he doesn't strike me as a guy that's ready to play NBA minutes, especially for a team like Charlotte that seems to be competing for like a top six spot. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator 
and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash NBA show 23. That's linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. Okay, well, thank you for answering all our questions. It is now time to play Andrew versus The Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head with an NBA beat writer. This week, of course, it's Richie Randall, host of the BuzzBeat podcast. Uh, so, Richie, how this works, I've come up with eight Hornets questions. Uh, you're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. It may be easy, maybe hard. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one, and we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So, Richie, if you could start me off with a number between one and eight. I will go with my favorite single-digit number four. Favorite single-digit number number four. No Hornet has ever made the All-NBA First Team. How many Hornets have ever been named to the All-NBA Second Team? So you don't have to tell me their names. You just have to give me a number. Uh, I, I will say two. Richie, that is absolutely correct. It was Larry Johnson and Glenn Rice for two points. That's funny because I was not thinking of those two, but I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) Well, that was a very good guess then. All right, Andrew, your turn. Uh, Number one. Question number one. The Charlotte Bobcats went 7-59 in the 2011-2012 season. Two players from that team are currently still playing in the NBA. Name them both. I know DJ Augustine is one. Okay. Um, That's one of your guesses. I just gave it away. And you just Um, gave it away, in case you don't get the second one. Was Kemba on that team? Kemba? Kemba Walker? Andrew, that is correct. Two for two. We're starting out. Wow. All right. Back to Richie. Let's go with question number three. Question number three. When the NBA... Awarded Charlotte an expansion team in 1987, the team was originally going to be called this, but was later changed to Hornets after conducting a poll of residents in Charlotte. What was the original team name? I'm going to give you five choices. One of them is correct. So this was the original team name for the Charlotte Hornets. Was it the Knights, the Cougars, the Spirit, the Crowns, or the Stars? I love the uh, the made-up names that you have to come up with. So the Knights were a minor league baseball team. The Cougars were a former ABA team, which Ooh. I guess could have been in the running. But Spirit sounds like it's the one that I'm going to go with. Spirit. Wow, that was an incredible breakdown from Richie, and that was absolutely correct for two points. Wow. That was very impressive. <laughs> uh, and by the way, those weren't made-up names. Those were actually five of the names that were being considered. Oh. I didn't have to make them mm. up this week, which was great, because it's very hard to make up fake sports team <laughs> names. Okay, Andrew, back to you. We are three for three number, right now. Number two. Have we ever run the table? Andrew, this one-time All-Star and 2003 NBA champ was the first player in NBA history to play for both the Charlotte Hornets and the Charlotte Bobcats. Oh so they, they played for the Hornets at some point. Then they became the Bobcats. They ended up playing for them at some point. The clues I gave you, they're a one-time All-Star and the 2003 NBA champ. Yeah, I just can't to go think of anything, fun? Al. All right. Richie, any guesses? I'm thinking of some players that could be All-Stars that have played for the Bobcats before because those are few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm not sure if they've ever played for the Hornets. That, that, that's where I'm getting hung up on. I, I, I don't have a guess. I don't have a guess. So the correct answer, still on TV, it is Steve Smith. Steve Smith. Wow. Steve okay. Smith. You know yeah, what? Wouldn't have gotten there. That was an unfair question because now that I'm looking it up, so I sometimes I'll type in, you know, Charlotte Hornets trivia and see what comes up and somebody <laughs> will have a good trivia question. I'll just steal it from him. I don't think that's a good question because it turns out now that I'm looking at it, he played for the New Orleans Hornets. Which I was mm. which I was still thinking of. I was still thinking okay. of. 
I was, okay. I was factoring that into my decision, but uh, I, I could not picture him on the New Orleans Hornets. This is unfair. I was not factoring that in. <laughs> unfair question. I'll take a point. Okay, Richie, it's back to you. You have a commanding 4-2 to two lead. Where would you like to go next? Let's go question six. Question number six. Last season, three Hornets players scored at least 40 points in a game. Name all three, and I'm going to give you one point per correct answer. 30 plus points is what you're saying. 40. Oh, 40. Yeah. Let's go Rozier. That is correct. Miles Bridges. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. You could steal two points here if you could give me both names. So these are Hornets players who last year Mm. scored 40 points in a game. Devontae Graham? No! You spoiled your chance, Andrew. It was Gordon Hayward. And who mm-hmm. could forget P.J. Washington? He had that 42-pointer. Sacramento, yeah. <sighs> uh, Andrew, you're still in us. Uh, it's five to three. Right. Three questions left. Uh, number five. Question number five. This player holds the Hornets franchise record for triple doubles and also has a small role in the movie Eddie starring Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> just, an extra, just an extra hint for you. I mean, you, you probably know it just because you know the franchise record for triple doubles, but also yeah, a small sure. role in the movie Eddie. Boy. I've, I've put, I, you, you know what time period it is, though. Yeah, I do, but that doesn't help me. Although he, he, he could have played, he could have been in the movie as a child. He could have been a child actor. You never know. <laughs> child actor turned NBA pro. Yeah. Is a, probably a rare thing. Oh, boy. I don't know. Any guesses? Can you think I, of a Hornet? I mean, Larry Johnson, but I just don't think that's right. That is not right. Although Larry Johnson was in the movie Eddie, he just does not hold the record for triple doubles. Richie, mm-hmm. you have any guesses? Yeah, I've never seen the movie Eddie, uh, but I do know who holds the record for the most triple doubles Ooh. for the Hornets. Uh, well, maybe I'm being overconfident here, but it's Uh-oh. it's an underrated player, Anthony Mason. That is correct for a point. Okay, Richie, now the commanding six to two lead. Two questions left. Number seven or number eight? Which one's easier? <laughs> Let, let's go eight. Let's go eight. Let's go eight. <laughs> uh, I, well, we'll see. We'll see if you think this is harder. Kemba Walker and Del Curry are first and second all time in three pointers made for the Hornets franchise. Which Hornet is number three? So third all-time in three-pointers made for the Charlotte Hornets. So Dale Curry, Kimball Walker. It's got to be like, I bet you Terry Rozier is probably up there, but that's not going to be my guess. I'm going to go Glenn Rice. Glenn Rice. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Which Charlotte Hornet is third franchise history in three-pointers made? Andrew has no idea. Dude, I have no idea. I'll Andrew, say Rozier. I have you, no clue. Would you believe that it is Marvin Williams? Marvin wow. Williams, third all-time. I don't believe it. Okay, final question. Andrew, I'm thrilled that you got this one. Thank Current you. Hornet-ish Smith has played mm-hmm. for 11 other oh, NBA gosh. teams, and we're going to try to name them all. So how this works... <laughs> Andrew, you'll give me a name. Then Richie will give me a name. We'll okay. go back and forth. I'm telling you right now, I will not repeat what the other person has said. So you, if you want to write okay. it down, you can. I stay engaged. You guys stay engaged. engaged. Andrew, you're going to start okay. us off. A team that Ish Smith has played for that is not the Hornets. We're ruling them out. Washington. Correct. Over to Richie. All right, let me write that down. Uh, let's go uh, 76ers. 76ers, that is correct. Andrew? Uh, Detroit. Detroit Pistons, that is correct. Back to Richie. I feel like I could just guess and I'd probably be right. Um, <laughs> you really could. It's like a third of the league. just take a stab at it. <laughs> did he play for Milwaukee? Milwaukee? He did play for Milwaukee. Back to Andrew. I feel like that's a tough one. I don't remember Ish Smith on the Bucks. <laughs> Oklahoma City. He did play for Oklahoma City. Back to Richie. Atlanta? Atlanta. Did Ish Smith oh, play gosh. for the Atlanta Hawks? 
he did not. And the points go to Andrew. But Richie, guess what? What? You have won six to four. You have defeated Andrew in Andrew versus the Beat. Congratulations. I appreciate it. Uh, now that you guys have gone through all the teams here uh, with uh, Andrew versus yes. the Beat, have you guys considered reaching out to Hashim the Beat and doing Andrew versus the Beat? I, I think there's an outside chance we actually could get Hashim because he did play <laughs> in Oklahoma City. Yes. We probably know some people who know Hashim. Ooh. I'm going to actually work on that tonight. I'll work on that tonight. We'll see what we can do. That's we could not, do not a bad idea. We could do a Hashim Beat themed trivia of Andrew versus the Beat. Uh, I would be all aboard. Asking about Hashim past teammates. Oh, by the way, other teams Ish Smith played for Houston, Memphis, Golden State, Orlando, Phoenix, and New Orleans. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, Richie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go listen to the BuzzFeed podcast. It's a really good podcast. It's very informative about the Hornets. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it, guys. All right, Andrew. That concludes the first official spin of the Wheel of Fandom, which means we put the names back up on the board and we spin it again. The one change I did make is uh, I've removed the last 10 teams that we did, the 10 most recent teams, so that we have some more variety. You know, you don't want to have, sure. you know, we just had the Hornets. What if you got the Hornets again? You wouldn't want that. Um, so there's 20 teams on here. And then each week I'll add in one of the other 10 teams. So we have 20 teams currently. There's a bunch on the board. Let's see what we get for next week, the week before Christmas. Here we go. Our Wheel of Fandom team for next week will be... My the Boston Celtics. Oh, 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 oh boy! Wow, I hadn't even the thought of Boston that name. Celtics. Oh boy, this is a kind of a messy time. They just lost back-to-back games in Los Angeles. This might be a good time to bring our guy Jay King on here to uh, discuss this uh, weird Boston team. Uh, cannot wait for that next week. Uh, before we go, I am going to read a Apple Podcast five star review. This one comes from Tony twenty two two two. He says Saturday Slam and Jam is a must listen. Every Saturday, I look forward to starting the weekend by listening to Andrew Schlecht and Alex Spears. Great commentary and insights. They always bring out the best in their guests. The trivia at the end of the episode is always a challenge and entertaining. I have already recommended this show to every one of my friends. Wow. Thank you so much. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, five stars. We will read it on the show, so please do that. Hope you guys have an awesome weekend, and we will talk to you guys again next week.